Hello and welcome to season four, episode four of Duelist Community. I, like Ray last week, have nothing clever to say. I was trying to think of something right before. I was like, fuck it. I don't always have to have something to say. And there's an insight in that, in, in being able to let go of, you know, holding on to that idea that you wanted to share, the insight that you had. Like, it's still in there just because it passes you or you forget what you're saying or where you were going with a certain point doesn't mean that there wasn't a message that was received or someone who resonated with the extent of what you did say, even if it didn't necessarily meet up to your made up fucking expectations of where you were going with it doesn't mean that it wasn't heard and doesn't mean that it isn't gone. So, And on the other hand, it's entirely possible that you piss someone off just by not knowing what to say, and they had expectations of you living up to a certain standard. What do you mean you have nothing to say? What value is that to me? And they're judging you very much based on their own needs, in which case that must suck. And it's not something that you necessarily need to be accountable for because you're always going to create a ripple. Doesn't matter if you're doing or not doing, doesn't matter if you're doing it for the right reasons or the wrong reasons or no reason at all. You're always creating a ripple because regardless of what you think you're doing, you're doing something. In fact, you are a part of something doing. That's it. Your opinion of it, your assumptions of it don't make a difference, except to you. To you, they make a difference because they give you the illusion of certainty and control, or they give you some sense that you can get what you want out of it, or it becomes an ever increasingly more complex puzzle that you enthusiastically tackle because it's fun to do so. But it really just comes down to you. So that all said, I'm very excited for this episode because we're just following Christmas. Christmas is such an interesting experience, I have to say, because I have a weird history with Christmas as a person because I didn't have much of a support network growing up. And while I did have some beautiful Christmas memories, they were really interspersed with a lot of other memories that weren't so beautiful and were often isolated and alone or surrounded with toxicity. And so we always talk about moving past our perspective of ourselves. We always talk about moving past regret. We always talk about moving past the idea that there should be or shouldn't be something that we do with Christmas. There should be or there shouldn't be some way that we interact with people at Christmas or any other day and whatnot. And so as such, when Christmas comes up, especially if you've been raised Christian or you're raised in a society that celebrates Christmas quite a bit, it, there's a lot of things that can be under the surface. You might find yourself a little bit more testy on Christmas without recognizing why. You might find yourself dealing with more triggers on Christmas without them actually being there. And I think it's important that we recognize that our brain is cyclical, that it does look for comparison and it does relate back to previous experiences. And just like going back and living with your family for a little bit after a long time of living apart will suddenly remind you of what it's like or what it was like to live with them previously. And you'll start acting out old habits and wondering, why am I doing that? Christmas does that too. Christmas will bring up old habits and your brain will try to enact them. Or if you're paying attention, it'll give you a chance to watch them unravel in the light of your new awareness or in the light of your new insights that you've been practicing so long as you were practicing awareness. So I figured we'd talk a little bit about that today. Yeah, sounds great. I uh, I know today on our Patreon calls and live streams, we've been touching a lot on family and, and the relationship there and the interactions that we have and you know the history that comes with those interactions and, and relationships and just navigating all of it becomes it, i think there's a there's a process at least it has been for me between you know being in it not questioning anything to starting to questioning things starting to question things and to those not willing to go there with you you think of them in a certain way or or see them in a certain way and try and convince them to act differently than they are or see things differently than they are and even just Today, I've realized how much that desire for anyone to see anything in any certain way or to change or whatever is rooted in a lack of faith in yourself and a need for a sense of validation from other people that, you know, you seeing things in the way that you do isn't quite good enough for you yet. And so you need someone else to 
see it too, or try and convince someone else to see it too. And so even as I said, just today, I've sort of realized that if, if no one else changed, if I didn't convince anyone of anything ever in my life that I would be okay. And through that recognition, there's significantly more freedom to be yourself and not need anyone to validate that way of existence. And so as much as it can be difficult interacting with family and close friends, as you begin to change, it can help to remember that you don't have to change anyone else. As you start to see things differently, it's not your duty for the world to change anyone else. Because at the end of the day, if you are caught up in trying to change other people, you're missing a lot. You're still caught up in a lot of distortion, still perceiving a lot of division through trying to change someone else or feeling this duty of changing the world is rooted in a shitload of the illusion still. So that's something along this quote unquote path that you have to let go of too. But it's through that letting go that you're able to express even more freedom and potentially even more clarity that allows people to see something that they weren't seeing before in you and recognize that that is possible. But until then, you're still acting within some degree of a prison of your own making that isn't quite as different as being very caught up in the illusion of yourself and the way society is than you may think. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because there's almost this payoff to paying attention to other people. We want them to change, but why? Well, because the alternative is we have to accept them for, for who they are and we have to change our reaction to them. So we almost don't want to look at that. We'd rather say, no, no, it's in their best interest because it's obviously working for me as I'm in conflict with them not changing. And so there's another lesson there about how we're still not applying it. And that's why it's kind of fun when you catch yourself doing it after a while, if you don't judge yourself that you're doing it, it's really easy to get caught up thinking the world should change and then forgetting that you are the world. Right? Because there's a, a certain degree of patience that goes with that. There has to be, right? But you're also letting things unravel over time. And, and so it's not about what you, the character, perceive to be the, the best course. It's what you, the character, are facilitating in that moment or have the capacity to facilitate in that moment based on everything that you've experienced. So long as, as always, you don't get caught up in your own preferences and what you think is right. So it's just possible that you're exactly the kind of person that this other person you're talking to who is lost and, and trying to grasp for things for a sense of value and certainty or connection, perhaps you've learned everything you need to learn to just be there and interact with them without judgment. Maybe that's why you're there. And in that, maybe they'll take something away. Maybe you'll find an opportunity to say something that does land, that does resonate. Right. But you'll never know as long as you're sitting there trying to get them to go down a hallway that you've dictated is the right hallway to go down from your limited perspective as a singular point in this very large tapestry, right? Because while you are the whole tapestry, your specific point of view is only seeing certain opportunities. You're only existing, you know, at this nexus point of possibility. There are infinitely, infinitely more nexus points of possibilities that everybody's experiencing all the time. And they're the only ones that are able to really dictate what, what path is correct for them to go down next or what path they're going to go down next. We can't control that. But trying to control that is almost the best way to make sure that they go in a direction that's actually more harmful because it's a result of you forcing. Don't make yourself the enemy and you'll become a doorway. Yeah, amen. And in theory, it sounds great to so clear that you can just speak so well and, and articulate things so well that people just believe you but it's like they're just believing you is that not the same fucking devil that got us into this mess 
in the first place. So the reality is, no matter how well-spoken or how well you can articulate these things, it may be that that's not so different than any other belief that people cling to. If you are so clear in your message that people do resonate with it without question, without resistance, then that's creating the same fucked up bullshit where people just believe without questioning that got us into this whole situation. Unquestioned belief, blind allegiance to things. So we have this idea, even in recognizing this stuff, that we want to get clearer and clearer and clearer. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're doing it in order to convince someone, get so clear that you can just convince them to believe rather than recognize it in themselves, it's creating the same devil that any I identity or, or belief-based situation is rooted around. So you don't want to get to that point that people are just hearing you and or, or not hearing you, but following you without question. It's that process of expressing yourself, experiencing some resistance, allowing for them to choose for themselves. Do they want to just run back to what they've known, or do they want to look at that resistance that they're experiencing within themselves and see where it's coming from and question that and then have the opportunity for an insight? So sometimes you expressing yourself and sharing things and them experiencing resistance within themselves is exactly what they may need. It may lead them to an opportunity to question themselves. But if there was no resistance, if they just listened to everything you said, then it wouldn't be felt within them. It would just be another thing they're holding on to. And so just to reiterate, anyone who is really enjoying dualistic unity, do not believe anything we say. Question everything we say with intensity. Be very curious about whether or not we're completely full of shit. I urge you to, because through that, continuing to question us, continuing to question yourself is the process, is the ability to unravel and experience the freedom in and of yourself. But as, as long as you're attaching someone else's words, someone else's thoughts, insights, point of view, so there's always going to be some distortion in that. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually, because... There's this point where we almost start thinking a different way. Up until a certain point, as you get out of your way, your own way more and more, as if you as you get out of your own way more and more, you start recognizing, wow, I'm actually kind of intelligent. I can process things pretty quick when I'm not dwelling on my doubts and my fears and what we're, what other people might be thinking of me. All of a sudden, there's so much more room to process all of this information, but then we come up to that point where again, it's self-defining. I'm a very intelligent person. I'm a very intelligent person. And so because of that, we always continue to think like that in terms of logical sequencing. Like you give us a problem, we will troubleshoot that bastard like nothing, right? But that's a different type of intelligence than just being in a situation without needing to logically process it actually just allowing your intelligence to respond to reality in that moment as it's happening, rather than you going back into the database of knowledge and, and logical uh, decision-making that you're used to, right? It's a different type of intelligence at play. It's not instinctual, but it's certainly alive in comparison to the other way of processing that I was talking about earlier. And so there's a different experience that happens there. And in that experience, that's where you start to feel. That's where you start to feel opportunities. That's where you actually start to see pathways or conversations that you wouldn't have seen otherwise because you were too busy relying on your intellect and everything it's done before. You have to be in that moment. And in that moment, enthusiastically, hopefully, you will see other directions that you can go just as a result of 
not being weighed down by what you think you know or what you think you need to know. And so there's more creativity, just like doing art. And so each and every moment actually becomes kind of a work of art. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of something uh, that I said on the Patreon call. Like the more knowledge that you hold on to, the less you know the here and now. The more knowledge that you cling to, in a sense, because I don't want it to come across. And this is why I, I'm glad that this is a conversation, because even just saying that, like the more knowledge that you cling to, the less you know the here and now. It's not like this black and white thing, like knowledge, don't have too much knowledge or else you won't be able to be present. You know, none of that. Like, don't think of it like that. It's it's that you're clinging to knowledge or your idea that your value is derived from having a lot of knowledge, you know, knowledge about yourself. I know my myself so much. It's like, do you? Which self exactly? Is it the idea of you or is it the truth of you? Because the idea of you, sure, you can you can know about. You can have all of these ideas that create that idea of you. But is any of it the truth of what you are here and now? Or is it just ideas? Are you creating that? With are you creating that going into each moment by holding on to that past idea of yourself, not allowing yourself to just be reality, which can't be known because it just is you're it. So you can't know it. You, know, you can't be the knower and that which is known because you're just doing it. It's like a seamless connection to being yourself here and now being here, being now being the here being the now in every single moment. So the more we cling to that idea that the knowledge makes us more like under understanding reality makes us more superior. It's like, do you actually know what's happening here and now? Like, are, are you aware of that? Or are you just holding on to ideas that you bring into each moment that help you to understand or, or make sense of things? But it's like, is that actually what's happening? Because if it's rooted in the past, rooted in things that you've learned, other people's words, other thoughts that people have had, yes, it's still here now, but it, it's creating a veil over the reality of what is here and now. And, and it's, there's a sense of distortion that comes with that and lack of ability to fully experience the truth of yourself, the more you cling to that idea that the knowledge is what creates anything, any, any sense of worth for yourself. Yeah. And it even comes down to knowledge about your character, your narrative, right? Knowledge as a whole, you think, you know, what's going on. So my experience this Christmas was actually kind of weird for that exact reason. Normally Christmas for me is I guess a treasure trove of triggers just going through my head, looking at all of the things that used to weigh me down because I never had a lot of what other people have had in terms of stability or support or, or, or family or anything like that. And so it was always a point where I would judge myself and get really on the negative end of my narrative and everything that led me to that point. And over the years, of course, going through this process of of questioning myself and questioning my narrative and questioning all of that as a source of, of value or familiarity or anything like that, I found Christmas Eve came about. And while I wasn't holding on to anything, I wasn't dealing with anything. Like there wasn't anything that was dragging me down emotionally. I wasn't like trying to cope. There was none of that. I was just in this whirlwind of processing. Like I, all of a sudden my brain was just super active all day long, just going through like my past, my present, my possible future, people in my life, people I've known, people I've talked to, people I've never known, like all kinds of stuff. And it was just processing nonstop. It was almost like I was on psychedelics and I wasn't. And it was just because instead of grabbing on to any one of those thoughts as it went by and identify with it, I was just letting it go by. And so as a result, I was seeing all the other thoughts that followed going through the same process. And it's so interesting because we talk about this all the time, but it's very rare that an event comes along that has so many triggers associated with it, like birthdays, some holidays, sure. But Christmas is one of those big ones for me, again, coming out of a Roman Catholic upbringing and then 
everything falling apart afterwards, you always kind of associate that with how shitty your life is at the end of the day. And so it's just really interesting that through that process, all of a sudden, I was just aware of all of that processing happening without actually being attached to any of it. And it's so interesting to watch. I, I have to wonder what next year is going to be like, because while Christmas Eve was actually really intense, like it wasn't difficult to deal with by any means, but I did find myself kind of in awe of it. Like I was quiet, more quiet than normal for sure. And, and it's just because I was so aware of everything that would happen from everything I would say and where everything was coming from. And so I almost didn't want to interfere with the process that was happening. So I just kind of watched it happening. But then by Christmas morning, still in it, had my stride. I'm just like, this is fun. I'm just going to let this keep going. So Christmas day was exactly the same in terms of, of that sheer amount of processing happening. But it was like I was dancing in the middle of a storm. And it was a really interesting experience. And so I just wanted to share this because this is a result of, again, a lot of personal work on my part. And I know a lot of you are on this path dealing with traumatic upbringings or traumatic memories, things from the past, going through triggers, stuff like that. And you're going to have days that, that tend to drag you back into your narrative more often than not. I just want you to know, keep at it. It changes tone. It really does. This was, this was a fantastic weekend. I, I have to admit, like, it was probably, I think, the best Christmas I've ever had. That's honestly super impressive because I feel like when you started saying that, how on Christmas Eve, you were aware of all of the processing happening, but you almost like didn't want to interfere. My initial thought as you were saying that was like, ooh, that like, I feel like I, I could understand that. And I've gotten very caught up in that of like not wanting to interfere, but then that's like still caught up in my idea of myself of like, ooh, how is this going to? How am I going to, it can almost freeze you. Like it can paralyze you that level of, of clarity, how it goes. So it takes some, not, I don't want to say effort by any means, but a certain degree of, a certain degree of, of stepping into the unknown and a certain degree of faith in yourself to see things like that. And then willingly step into it, knowing the gravity of everything that you do, like the the impact of everything that you do all the time. Like when you really start to settle in on that, it can be, it can almost, as I said, be paralyzing in a way, but it doesn't have to be. That's just one option. That's just one perspective of it. And it's like, if you're very much caught up in the idea of yourself, and you know your value being at all tied to those repercussions or the response to whatever you do then then it can be very scary and that's how a lot of people live i think they they start to they may have a sense of clarity of the impact the potential impact that everything they do could have and all of a sudden they're they're just not doing anything they're not interacting with society at all they're hiding in their their room all day not wanting to do anything. So it, it, that's a part of this sort of path, I guess, that people don't, I think it takes a while to recognize, like when you start to see things more and more clearly, that's like from all perspectives and the clearer you get, the more you're able to see that from all perspectives, as opposed to just, you know, your own characters. And so there's a lot of potential weight that comes with that if you let it but it doesn't have to so it's like a stepping into it and then a stepping through it and just being like yeah okay fuck it let's keep rolling like let's keep going see seeing where this goes because it doesn't actually like it changes everything but it doesn't change anything you're still interacting with reality you're just seeing that it's not something else you're just interacting with yourself and so inevitably everything you've always done has had impacts and the more sensitive you get to that the more you feel it the more you feel it in yourself and so with that comes 
a sense of responsibility that I think is a lot stronger than it was when you perceived yourself as something inherently separate. But it doesn't mean that it has to stop you from doing so. <laughs> it's almost more comfortable when we believe in the subconscious. And I'm glad that this came up because it's definitely a subject that we need to explore. Because what we're saying is that the more aware you become, the more clear you are, the more you relax. I just want to make that one clear. The more you relax, the more you start to see why you do everything you do and the ripples that will come from them. And in that state, you're looking at motivators and you're looking at fears and insecurities that are deep that most of the rest of the time you're not even aware are there it's not that you're aware that it's not that you're not aware they're there so much as you don't want to be aware they're there you have lots of reasons not to be aware they're there you've got shit to do stuff to worry about what people think of you so on and so forth and so you're in a different state of mind where those deep down motivators and fears and influencers aren't in your awareness. They're still there. They're still influencing you, but they're not in your awareness. And so we call it subconscious, right? But it's not that they're subconscious. It's just that you don't want to slow down enough to look at them, right? We say subconscious, like they're inaccessible. It's not that they're inaccessible. It's that they require a different state of being to access kind of like dreams. I think that's kind of the point is that in a state of awareness, you are conscious. The subconscious starts to dwindle the more your awareness increases until you're just left with choice. And I think that's kind of what we were talking about in uh, raw number 10 earlier today, getting lost in an emotion, almost to the point where you're not there at all. You don't have a whole lot of free will in that state, do you? No, not, not in the same way as you do when you're more aware of it happening. So it makes me wonder if the subconscious as a collective is just a cop-out. And, and this idea that, oh, these subconscious patterns that I have. It's like, as soon as you're aware of the subconscious patterns, like, it's no longer sub, it's now conscious, and it's now your responsibility to handle them in whichever way that you do. And, and if you continue perceiving them as subconscious and feeling as though you're a victim to them, you think you can foist off the responsibility, but then there's a ton of disempowerment that comes with that, with just foisting it onto, oh, it's, it's the subconscious. Makes me wonder like how much of a cop-out that statement is, or, or that even that belief that our subconscious, you know, determines 95% of our reality. Is it just that we're that unaware of what's actually happening here and now? And as we slow down, as Ray said, as we slow down and recognize and and deepen into reality here and now, how how much less of that 95% of the subconscious is actually at play and, and shifts more to the conscious to the point that it can completely flip where it's, you know, 5% subconscious and 95% conscious when you're actually where you're at, as opposed to being so caught up in the idea of yourself and what, what any action that you take means about you or means about the idea of what's going to happen, you know, tomorrow, next week, next year, it's going to happen in 10 years. It's like all of that hinders us from being able to tap in more deeply to the here and now where the subconscious quote unquote subconscious is at play. And so is it just our avoidance of our reality here and now and unwillingness to look at how things are right now because we're so caught up in you know what we've always been or what we're becoming that we're not able to see it and so therefore what's actually happening in reality which is only ever here and now 
is dictated based on these patterns that we've accumulated that we're not willing to look at that we just say is our subconscious and there's nothing we can do about it because we're all just victims and, and unaware. Well, that's it, right? I don't know necessarily if it's that we're unwilling or just not at the point where we're able to accept it's a possibility, right? Like there are people who come to this stage in their development who don't want to let go of their ego because there's a hell of a payoff to believing in your identity. There's the sense of control, uncertainty, the ability to compare yourself and all that other fun stuff, for sure, for sure, for sure. But what we're saying is that we kind of avoid that level of awareness because we don't want to look at it. I wouldn't say it's necessarily that. There's a part of that. Absolutely. I think that nobody's told us that we can look at it. I think things like the term subconscious have kind of justified us not looking at it to a certain degree. And so as this conversation continues to grow, I think that that's what we're getting at is that there is actually a state of awareness or there is a path of deepening awareness, which is a better way of putting it, that is possible that does in fact make it more likely for you to escape the influences of your subconscious. It really isn't that much of a stretch to say this is a possibility. I mean, we know this is true just going for a walk. Let's just say that you envision a walk in your mind right now, something in your neighborhood, something that you know the distance of, approximately how long it would take to go for that walk from the time you leave to the time you get back at an average pace, so on and so forth. You know all this in your head. Okay. And if you were to go for that walk, chances are you probably beat your time, which is kind of funny, right? And it's because you're probably underestimating your brain is doing that thing. And more, more importantly, on that walk, you would almost subconsciously want to beat your time. See, there's that subconsciously thing. And it's because you're thinking about the end result. But if you were to go on that walk without actually thinking about the time or the end result or a need to get home at all, that walk might take three times as long because you'd be stopping every little while to look at things. You might actually see a deer or you might run into a neighbor that you wouldn't have because you were just keeping up the pace on that last walk, right? Your experience of everything is dictated by your commitment to the end point. If you get rid of that commitment to the end point, you're left with the experience of now, which is all encompassing. BC, we minimize that by focusing on the end of the tunnel. Now I don't have to think about this giant room and all of the uncertainty. I know where I'm going and all I have to do is get there. And that's why we focus on tunnel vision. That's why our brain just wants to create this path for us. And the same is true for the reason we avoid the subconscious. There's a lot in there, right? And we feel that whenever we're left on our own. It's one of the reasons people don't like to be left alone is because they actually start to listen to what's going on inside them. It's often the reason people avoid psychedelics or even cannabis, right? Is because all of a sudden they become relaxed enough to hear what's going on inside them. That is an endless rabbit hole until finally you recognize that underneath all that habitual thought, underneath all that habitual perception is the here and now and the option to do whatever you want with it but with complete awareness of what you're doing and why. And I think that's the experience that we don't necessarily contemplate as possible. I think that that's something we don't talk about. I think often it's just, oh, we're saddled with our subconscious. We got to do the best we can despite that. And I think we're always chipping away at our subconscious, even when we're not deep diving into it, even when we're not in a state of clarity, just going through some hard shit is changing your subconscious. It's changing the wiring of this whole structure. And do think of it like that. Think of it like a structure. Because when we say subconscious, it kind of makes it seem like it's out of reach. It's not about that. It's kind of like the layer beneath the layer that you are consciously operating in. It's still attached to the layer that you're operating in. So whatever you do right now is still influencing the deeper stuff within you, whether you recognize it or not. It's just that when you relax deeper into that stuff, it's almost like you have more of an ability to unravel the strands because you are relaxing deeper into that stuff as opposed to just chipping away at it from the surface, which does work, but way slower.
but with less fear. Yeah, definitely. I have a example sort of along these lines um, of this type of situation that I've experienced recently. So as I, as I've uh, talked about in the past, like love walking, always told myself I was a, I was a big walker. I didn't, didn't really like running, didn't do it very much outside of sports. Uh, I did when I was younger a little bit. And just recently I had the idea, I want to run the New York city marathon next year. And so I started like jogging again a little bit and I, I had to stop telling myself that I'm, you know, a walker, which was an identity that I was clinging to a lot because it gave me a sense of comfort that like, Oh, if I'm this, then I don't have to think about why I didn't want to run or the things that came around with that. Like in the past, when I did try and run like two years ago, I started getting into it again. And then I ran for like a week and then everything was sore all the time. And I was like, well, I can just walk and not feel all this pain and soreness. And so I just did that. I was like, yeah, same difference, whatever. And so I realized how much I was identifying with that and saw it sort of as an opportunity to let that shit go and let that idea go. And so I've been just like getting out for jogs, a couple miles here and there. And yesterday I ran more, like more than twice as much as I've ever run in my life. And more than four times as much as I have in the last couple of weeks of running and going into it, Ray was talking about the end point and kind of going on a walk, have an idea, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I had no end point in mind going into it. Just going to go jog a couple miles. And so I started and it's like feeling pretty good, enjoying it. I think I got, I was like, I pretty much have stopped around three miles. I've done like two to three miles at once. That's the most I've done um, recently. So that's kind of been my, my benchmark. So yesterday I was like, all right, I bet I can push past that a little bit more. And so I did four and I was still running. I was like, yeah, I feel, feel pretty good. Like, let's, let's just see how long it goes. Let's see how long I, I can go. And I'm not feeling shitty, whatever. So I get to five and six, I'm like, yeah, I can keep doing this. And I get to eight and then it hits me like, oh, I could, I could easily get to 10. Like I still wasn't feeling bad at all. And I wasn't holding on to any idea of where I was going to get to. And then it kind of hit me like, I bet I could, I bet I could get to 13.1, which is half marathon. Cause I was still feeling pretty good. And then I got to 10 and then, you know, stuff started hitting me, but I'd kind of said, fuck it. I'm just doing this despite how I'm feeling. Uh, and then, yeah, I finished off and I ran 13.1 miles yesterday after never having run more than like six in my life. And it kind of blew my mind because so I'm sore as fuck today. Like I'm definitely, you know, the pendulum swings and I'm like hobbling around the house today. Um, but it's weird because I always had this idea that I wasn't a runner and I did it in a decent time. It took me two hours, which is, you know, you double that. It's like a four hour marathon. Obviously it's way more miles. So you, you probably won't keep that pace up, but maybe you will, who knows, but it was from not having expectations of how it was going to go. It was just like, let's see what we can do. Let's see what we're capable of. So I wasn't telling myself anything. I wasn't telling myself that I could do it, but I, and I also definitely wasn't telling myself that I couldn't do it. It was like, I was just doing it. I, I was really like enjoying the experience of it. And as I was doing that, it was like, because it wasn't this begrudging task that I was like, oh, I have to do this or I, I need to prove this to myself, or I need to prove this to anyone else, whatever, all that shit. It was just like, let's see what I can do. Let's find out. So I just kept finding out and then it just kept going. And it was like, and then I almost TMI maybe, but I almost shit my pants at the end. And I was just like barely holding on and like had to sprint inside by the end of it. But I got through it and it just kind of opened up this part of me that I am like, fuck, I can do that after telling myself for so long that I, that I couldn't, or having this idea that even running 10 miles, I was like, what? That sounds brutal and miserable and awful and terrible. And because I wasn't telling myself anything, 
just like just happened. It's like it's it's it was a very interesting and strange experience, but also cool just to see what you're capable of when you stop telling yourself that you can or can't do something. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. Now, just beware of the temptation next time to try and replicate that feat. Measure yourself up. I did 13.1 last time because then all of a sudden your brain's working against you again. So it really is just each and every time, as always, surrendering to the moment. It's not about getting back to a previous experience of the moment because that's not the experience you had, which is kind of the pain in the ass about thinking back to the previous experience of presence that you had. You're not actually remembering that previous experience of presence. You're remembering an image of that presence. It's kind of like, uh, thinking back to a memory, you're not actually remembering what happened. You're remembering a very tiny, tiny kind of reflection of what happened without any of the reality to it. So it's kind of important to remember that the present is the same way. The experience you remember having, like if you happen to ever run across somebody or if you happen to ever want to say this to yourself, you know, like, oh yeah, no, I know what ego death feels like. No, you don't. And the only reason I say that is because it's never what you remembered it feeling like. That's kind of the point, right? It always, it's always new. Each and every time it happens, it's always new. Each time you're just like, oh. And it's your idea of what happened previously that gets in the way of that. So it's very important to remember. I'm very glad that we got onto the topic of the subconscious because it's important. It's another thing that kind of disempowers us, but it also points a light at a really deep tunnel, or at the very least, a new path worth exploring. If it's not outside of our reach, then it really does imply that we're vast in nature, that whatever's going on within our awareness is really quite complex. There's a lot of moving parts. It's kind of like, um, like the sun. Did you know that the sun has two moving parts, that you have the outer mantle and the inner one, and they're actually rotating differently? Yeah. No, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, they have like an 11 and 22 year cycle, uh, which dictates the solar maximums and minimums. But the sun is more complex than just being a ball in the sky. There is actually currents that are happening within it that affect the currents that are happening outside of it. So it's way more. So if you were to look at our awareness kind of like that, that's our subconscious. And we're so used to, to kind of swimming around on the surface that we think it's untouchable just because we haven't relaxed enough to recognize that we're already in it. We're all, we're always in it. It's just that we're not present enough or moving slowly enough through our experience of time to have the sensitivity to be aware of it. So in thinking about the subconscious and, and just this analogy that came to mind was almost like the subconscious is, is the deeper reality of what we're basing our life and our, our perceptions and our reactions and our responses to in each and every moment. It's almost like if you think about a tree, like the subconscious is, is the trunk and all of our actions and the way that we're perceived and the idea of us are the branches. And, and the further from the trunk that you get, the more you know superficial or shallow or surface level you get, the further out into the branches, the further you are from the core of what's actually dictating those reactions and responses. And at the same time, our subconscious is, is not a set thing. It's not a thing that's stagnant. It's always learning and growing. And again, I'm, I'm saying, I don't want this to come across as the subconscious being separate from, from you. It's very much interconnected, but there's it's like a like an organism like there's different mediums through which we act and respond and things things that dictate things and so if the subconscious is as they say you know dictating most people's 95% of their actions and and responses to things and we're so caught up outside of our reality here and now caught up in ideas concepts you know regretting something from the past, worrying about what someone's going to perceive us like in the future, worrying about what our life's going to look like in the future. We're rarely relaxed enough to settle into the moment here and now, which is where the subconscious is being molded 
is here and now. So over time, if, if we're not being where we're at, relaxed enough to be okay with being where we are, not necessarily needing to get somewhere or prove anything, then we're able to see where all of those things are coming from. But if we're, if we're not there for it, the subconscious is almost able to be built over time based on the fact that like we're checked out of that. It's like, we're, uh, we're an absentee parent and the subconscious is the home. Like it's not there monitoring it. So it's able to be built. And then it becomes the way that we interact with the world is based on all of those unchecked interact interactions and experiences and, and markers. But the more we can relax into the reality that we don't know, you know, what's to come or what anyone thinks of us and just be where we're at, like we're able to look at the subconscious for what it is and actually bring it into the conscious. That was really interesting and really well said. It's almost like an autopilot that comes into existence simply because we're not at the wheel. And that's so interesting because here we are trying to like force the wheel as it's going into bushes and stuff, not realizing that we're not addressing the autopilot itself, right? If we're still not paying attention to the root problem because as soon as you are aware, you're in your subconscious. That's what you're seeing. Like that's that increased processing. All of a sudden you're just like, oh, wow, this is all happening all the time. And it's just that you're not looking at it because frankly, it's so easy to get caught up in the idea of you. It keeps you out of the present, right? Like that, that's, that's just it. That's really, really interesting. And yeah, as you relax into that state of awareness, you can see what's happening on that deeper level and in different ways because the deeper you go, the more abstract and emotional it becomes, right? That's where you start getting really towards your real triggers, towards the stuff that started with birth onward and so on and so forth. The, the fear of death, um, wanting relationships, all that, like that's deeper, deeper stuff that we kind of try to deal with in like therapy and psychology and, and, and so on and so forth. But it's a very different experience to be in it, looking at it without getting caught up in the workings of it and in that moment what's interesting, and this is something that dawned on me while you were speaking, when you are free of that, when you are watching that process, you start to recognize that everything that you're doing still kind of makes sense according to all of those processes. Like you're free of it, you're watching it happen. You're aware of the influences, you're still making choices. But what's interesting is that in that state where you're free of the narrative, when you're free of those things pulling you or pushing you or anything else, that's when everything seems perfectly appropriate. It totally dawned on me that that's the experience I was having at the retreat. Relaxing past the subconscious is synchronicity. Hmm. Relaxing past the subconscious is synchronicity. So it's, it's like the subconscious is what's keeping us from being able to recognize that we're always in perfect timing because we're taking control or rather because we're we're holding on to an illusion of ourselves being outside of that perfect timing outside of everything that's always happening and it's just because we're again letting our subconscious kind of take the wheel as opposed to just witnessing what we always are and that's where that timing comes across. That's where everything you do seems perfectly appropriate because none of it is being distorted by that subconscious that is now, that, that's usually running amok on autopilot. You're now in the seat, just watching, participating as it seems appropriate and then watching the rest of reality move with you. That's really interesting. I, I just wanted to say that's really interesting and it's something I'm gonna chew on for a few days now. Yeah, likewise, like it's, it's always, so it's recognizing that it's always there. It's always happening perfectly. Everything is, and it's almost like our society as it is caught up in, in so many different things 
is just an expression of how far we are from recognizing that it's always happening. It's like it, and it builds upon itself that distortion because now, you know, if I go out and say everything's happening perfectly, exactly as it should, people lose their fucking minds. We're like, what? Look at this, 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 this. And could it be that those are all just a product of, you know, from wherever those experiences, expressions began or, you know, their roots were, if that wasn't because we perceive that everything wasn't happening exactly as it should. It's like those are right. The ego, the should. Yeah. It's like you were saying, right? It's like I, I want to be happy. I should be happy. Not playing our part. <laughs> yeah, it's us superimposing our idea of where we should be, or where we think we should be always thinking that, oh, fucking A, thinking that whatever we're doing, it's not where we're supposed to be. We're so caught up. And that's why that idea, that word should, thinking that I should be in a place, I should be feeling differently. Like that's what leads to all of our, or for the most part, you know, our our anxiety, our, our fear, our worry is that things should be different than they are. And so through that desire or belief, we do shit to change it. We act, we try and cling to control, figure out where we should be, avoiding the fact that it's always right there. And so everything that we do is in reaction to that false belief. Yeah. And we separate ourselves from everybody else as a result. Right. So very interesting where, again, in the state of awareness, you're just with everybody else, right? It's not coming from a place of distortion or lack. It's just coming from being and existing. And I guess that's the point is what's possible in that state of mind. What is possible to a society that's not hell bent on trying to satisfy an illusion that can never be satisfied? Because that's the problem with identity is it can never be satisfied. It's always going to be something that you're going to have to defend or hold on to or feel threatened. Always. You're never going to get out of that. Even if you become a billionaire who's running for president, surrounded by yes men, people are still going to call you out. People are still going to threaten your ego just by disagreeing with you, just by not liking you, because that's the cost of identity. Right? It never equals fulfillment ever, regardless of how much you might want it to. So it's really important to recognize, I think, that good intentions have a cost to some degree when they're not coming from a state of awareness, right? You have to be aware of where your intentions are coming from, or perhaps they're not as good as you might think, right? And that's kind of important, but I'm very curious as to what would be possible in a society where we recognized, again, we're not in the driver's seat. Like this subconscious that's twisting us is twisting us because it's, it's habitual and it's built over time. Out of necessity, there's nothing wrong there in terms of it developing over time. But it's interesting that we haven't figured out a way yet to really get to it before it starts causing long-term consequences in our lives, particularly in our 40s and our 50s and our 60s, where that habit's gone unchecked for so long that we don't even recognize why we think a lot of what we think and i just want to take a quick note to say psychedelics psychedelics actually really help with this because again they're kind of resetting your default mode so you are in a state of being on the ground floor being totally uncertain there's no subconscious to deal with in that state because you're just paying attention to the present where you are and that's very much the experience that we're talking about come to think of it yeah it's funny how that's the case even with that tree analogy i was working through like being on psychedelics can help you to more clearly just be where you're at not be caught so much in what's been or you know potentially what's to come and so obviously as we've said that's available without psychedelics and in a completely sober state but it can help you to to shift or or 
be a tool for a bit to help you to be able to see that and, and possibly shift that perspective and recognize that, especially as you get older, especially get into getting into your 50s, 60s, 70s, that there's another way you can see things that becomes less and less easy to tap into or recognize in a sober state as you get older because it's what you know and and it's like it's it's digging a deeper crevice in you know the ground floor of, of reality the way you think things are and because there's so much built around that a sense of comfort sense of security in a very uncertain reality that comes with all of those beliefs it's like letting go of that you think is letting go of your comfort of your of your certainty even as those things become prisons and and cut you off from the truth of what's happening in reality from the flow of reality from the freedom that's possible when you let go of those ideas and beliefs so yeah i feel like psychedelics is definitely an avenue with which especially as you get older you can more clearly tap into what's happening in the in the subconscious and what's guiding some of those things and and ideas and the way you think things are that may not be because you've just been going about them unquestioned for so so goddamn long so i want to go back for a second to this conversation about the subconscious because i noticed we started going deeper into that and it got to a point where it became paradoxical and we almost bounced out of that conversation and i thought that was really interesting because this conversation starts to get really uncomfortable right around here but we were talking about relaxing past the subconscious which means so when we're acting out our subconscious we're we're in the flow we're still connected to everything except that we feel completely out of the flow like we feel disconnected we feel lost we feel confused we feel lacking and we're acting out all of that stuff which is all coming from a large degree of what we're doing habitually underneath the surface like we're dealing with the superficial stuff that's coming from that deeper stuff right but that deeper stuff is still down there and it's twisting our perception of what we're doing let's just say as much as it, as it might be twisting what we're doing so when we relax past that and all of a sudden we're not thinking about ourselves anymore everything seems perfectly timed all of a sudden, everything we're doing seems to be appropriate to everything else that's happening. And we're more inclined to be led by reality rather than feeling disconnected from that reality. And so the question is, do our actions change in that state? Or is it simply that our state of mind is changing to no longer be resisting our actions? Oh, <laughs> like, is that? Could that be tied into following your gut in a way? Like following that gut feeling that you have deep down is just being able to go beyond what your subconscious is telling you. Is it almost like our subconscious gets in the way? Or is trying to take ownership reaction? of? Like, is it that is, is it just that our subconscious is really just our habitual tendency to not want to see ourselves as part of everything else? Like, is that, is that what it is? Cause every time we rely on the subconscious, it creates distortion. Every time we're not in the driver's seat, as it were relying on autopilot, that's where our, our feeling of lack and conflict comes from. Right. But when we let all that go, we're not different people. That's the interesting part about that experience. Like we would still go and do the same things that we did before, except not for the same reasons. And I'm just wondering if we were ever doing it for those reasons, despite thinking so. Like, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing, but kind of putting a mask on it that's unpleasant just because we don't understand what we're doing? It's kind of where I'm getting at. Like, are we always doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing, but like instead of smiling while we do it, we're kind of like just grumpy and walking through it. Like, you know, I don't like this. This is what I think should be happening. And we're still doing it regardless. And the only thing that changes in the state of clarity is that 
we're smiling as we go about it, maybe reacting a little differently as we go about it, but we're still meeting all the same people we're supposed to meet, still doing all of the necessary things we were supposed to be doing. We're just making it kind of easier on ourselves. I'm really wondering about this. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. Like for always, we think that being clear and tapping into the flow means it shifts us and shifts what we're doing. But it's like it it does in a way, like we do different things, but because it's happening simultaneously, it's not like you can... It's not like you can A, B test it, you know, you can't do it recognizing that you're in the flow and then do it recognizing like caught up in illusions, do the same thing. Like there is no testing period. It's always just where we're at. So we've always been in the flow, but our, our degree of clarity and recognition shifts that flow as we do but it's always been it. So as we start, you know, smiling, going through it, that also shifts everything that we're doing. And so it, it is it that our resistance and our, as I was saying before, begrudgingness to be just doing what we're doing, always thinking it should be something else cuts us off from actually changing or acting any differently. It's a really good question, right? Like, it's almost like we've got, like, what is it? Like two drawings, one on top of the other. Like, they're the same drawings, but they're slightly out of alignment, right? So we're seeing the one image and the other image that's just slightly off. It's not that we're not still seeing the same image. It's just that we're not seeing it as it is. We're seeing it according to our own distortion or our own angle, right? That's so... So very interesting. So is all of this then, because we've referred to it as distortion before, we've referred to it as seeing it just a slightly bit off, right? So is all of this conversation, is dualistic unity entirely just about that distortion, about the fact that we are habitually looking at things just slightly askew, but that nothing would change otherwise except the ease with which we go through the journey or the ease with which we, we learn these lessons as opposed to kicking ourselves as we go through? Because how many lessons have you gone through that you've made it harder on yourself to go through by just resisting and making that distortion worse and making it harder for you to actually see the pattern? And because it's all happening simultaneously, like your willingness to let go of the idea that you should be doing anything else, it's like, that does shift what you're doing, but that's part of being that flow as well, just like it always has been. And you've just had this perception that it isn't it. So as your perception of it shifts, it, it aligns, clarity arises, and your actions shift, but your actions have always been shifting. You've always been doing different shit at all times so it's just the more clearly you recognize it you're continuing to shift but it's no differently than you've ever shifted your entire life with or without that degree of clarity and what do you mean by you <laughs> oh man so it's always been it it's always been and the degree to which we perceive that it's been the character creates a sense of, of distortion along and the way. That's exactly what we've been saying this whole time about society and everything else. We've just looked at it from an entirely different angle. Fuck. Oh, damn. So, oh, so it's like that subtle distortion has been almost perfectly in line with the distortion with which we perceive ourselves to be separate. Perfectly in line. Priorities and all. Huh. Fuck. <laughs> Damn. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. I think that 
this is an excellent point to wrap up today's episode. We're going to wrap it up a little shorter today because it is Boxing Day. We did just have a nice weekend. I still want to spend a little bit of time with my family this afternoon. And honestly, this was a nice deep dive. I really enjoyed the insights that came out of this. I'm looking forward to picking them apart. I'm sure we're going to be talking about this tomorrow on Patreon and in our live stream uh, to our listener Do join us on our live stream. If you can, it's Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday for two hours. You can participate in the comment section. It's so much fun. The group discussions on Patreon, likewise, are incredible. If you are looking for a supportive community of people who are having this discussion, I can't recommend our Patreon groups enough for sure. But uh, before we wrap up here, is there anything else that you would like to talk about based on this subject before we do? Because this was a doozy. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm, I think just that I'm excited to get deeper into it and, and have some time to reflect on this and kind of the ease that comes with this recognition, like the deep, deep ease that comes with it. Like, holy fucking shit. <laughs> Let go. Uh, Relax. Pay attention to yourself. Right? And it's the same thing. It's always has been. Nothing has changed except we've just looked at it from a different perspective that made it resonate a little bit harder or a little bit deeper, which is the process that we were communicating this whole time is that it continues to deepen. And because of our listeners, because of our community, we're able to see this with more and more clarity. And so we want to thank you, dear listener, for joining us here today, for sharing this insight with us. If you have any questions, if you have any thoughts of your own, definitely drop them in Discord because we would love to hear what you have to say. Bye, everyone.